0: Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com, or you can email us at, business at filmandtvreview.com. Reach out today! Welcome to filmandtvreview.com. Catch the latest film, TV and streamed show reviews every week. The views and opinions expressed by the authors and those providing comments are theirs alone. They do not reflect the views opinions or position of FilmandTVReview.com or their respective parent companies or affiliates. FilmandTVReview.com makes no representations as to accuracy, completeness, correctness, suitability, or validity of any information in this programme and is for entertainment purposes only. Episodes may contain adult humour and language. For full terms and conditions see FilmandTVReview.com.
1: Hello and welcome to another edition of Film and TV Review and we're looking back at last month's offerings across uh, film and TV um, across the month of January and already had quite a few titles across the streaming and cinema screens. Um, I'm joined by the regulars James, Alfonso and Richard and so we'll uh, kick off and we'll also talk about maybe a bit of the Oscar nominations that were announced just very recently. So, um welcome everyone. So um I think we'll start with I think the uh, boy and the heron. That's a uh, uh another studio GB uh production or a long running studio, but there is the Boy and the Heron just came out in this late December. Um yep. Richard and uh James, you saw this? Is it uh, it's got a a good a huge reputation to live up to, but uh did you enjoy it, or was it a bit middling? Or oh, just tell a bit yeah, about
2: it. Yeah, and, and My, Miyazaki, is, he does this thing of saying that he's going to retire and, and never does, which I think is quite kind of a smart thing to do because um, everyone's just always looking forward to the next thing rather than um, having pressure, you know, sort of building for, for years and years. Um, but this is set, I suppose, before the end of the Second World War, I think, isn't it? We've had a lot yeah. of... we were talking before about Oppenheimer and uh, Godzilla minus one, all these second, second world war films, but um, this is a young boy and he's, he's haunted by his mother's death during the second world war. um, And is then visited by uh, a heron, or it seems to be a heron. I I was quite, quite disturbed by this heron creature, (laughs) um, which I don't think he's given away in the, um, in the film. And uh, it's a very allegorical film, I think, rather than a, a sort of literal one. Yeah. Um, it, it's quite dark. and may, I haven't seen all the Studio Ghiblis. Or like, I really love uh, My Neighbor Totoro, Spirited Away, um, and a few others. But maybe some of them are a bit lighter. This is definitely the dark and disturbing end, I think, of of the spectrum. And I think maybe it has caught people a little bit unaware. Um Maybe some people that are used to some of the more uh, softer Studio Ghibli output, but I really liked it. Actually, I, I was I wasn't mad about it, but I feel like it's one I want to watch again because I maybe underestimated it going into it. I mean, the I, I and I actually saw a dub because that was the only one that was on um, this side, and I don't mind anime dubbed actually because it allows me to look at you know more at the animation, and the animation is like just top-notch 2D-drawn animation that we're used to from Studio Ghibli. They don't really put a foot wrong in that respect. Um, So, yeah, quite an unusual story, I thought, but I kind of liked that. I liked that it sort of took me a bit off guard. It was a bit more challenging than I thought it would be. Um, And I think it's done very well, but I think, Richard, you probably liked it even more than I did, I'm guessing. Yeah,
3: I I, I really enjoyed that movie. Um, I. I don't know how much I can say about it, uh. But I, I thought, yeah, it was maybe a very sad, strong, strong word. But it's maybe one of the saddest of the Miyazaki movies that I've I have watched possibly. But at the same time, the ending is very uh hopeful, um, and in a way, and maybe it's only me as with my French eyes, um. Uh, I saw this movie and I definitely thought it was very comparable to Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland. Um, I, I kind of try not to say it last time we talked about it, I said, actually, but I thought straight away about the very popular British book. Um, because in a way, both main characters... Uh, I don't know if you can say that actually they escape or they decide to escape in a magical and unreal world to solve their own problems or they are pushed there. But in a way, I I, I, thought, I thought it was like a, 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 a more grown-up uh, and a more mature uh, mm-hmm. version of Alice in Wonderland, this movie. And I, that's why I might, I might have liked it even more because maybe it's maybe... A, it appeals more to me because obviously I'm older than that. since the last time I watched I Alice in Wonderland so I was like 10 years old um and yeah and the whole stories about um death rebirth and the acceptance of death I thought was amazing uh, um I usually don't cry watching animated movies, to be honest, but uh, I, I did uh, uh, sh- sh- uh, have some tears in my eyes uh, sometimes uh, doing watching this movie. Um, you, you said it, uh, James. There it, is definitely very. It's very It's um, a lot of metaphors and allegories, and uh, it's really well done. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was magical, but also, as I said, uh, very... Uh, interesting comments about uh death and rebirth and uh and acceptance of death and uh, moving on etc so yeah yeah uh is my favorite Maze- Maze- movie i said in the past that uh, my favorite one will remain uh, princess mononoke but uh, it's definitely up there uh i haven't seen all of them but most of them but it's still up there yeah mm, okay yeah
1: i've had the same thing kind of a mixed thing but uh um Great looking work anyway in every single film. But um, okay. It mixed on that one. Okay. Uh next uh another offering we've got is uh Paul Giamatti is with a lot of bit of Oscar buzz here around this one as well. Is um in the Holdovers, which is I think he plays a in a, a prep school lead who's forced to stay over the Christmas break with uh <laughs> A cook and a troubled student sounds a bit of a premise like uh, I know the Dead Poets Society meets uh, the Breakfast Club, which is a bit of a gold classic. For those ODS there, um, James and Richard, you both saw this as well, um, James. Yeah, so I I
2: saw this last night, and um, mm-hmm. Breakfast Club uh, comparison is. One that come up quite early on, I thought that's what this was going to be. because I, I had seen a trailer, but it hadn't really gone in particularly. <laughs> I, I, I knew it was up for some sort of Oscars, so I wanted to, to watch it. Um, but I thought there's quite a long build up in a way of like about almost 30 minutes of, of all the kids. So I didn't realize that that was the premise that you just very well put, uh, said, Jason, is that they kind of left it. It's him uh the, Paul Giamatti is the, the headmaster um one of the uh what one, one student is left over Christmas and also the cook is there and the janitor and they kind of become almost like a, a, a slightly dysfunctional sort of family of outcasts that, that sort of nobody wants over Christmas um and I I I really wasn't expecting to love this film like as much as I did. I thought it might fall into that category of oh, I admire it, or uh, maybe I feel I should like this. But I thought it was like perfect. Like th- there's nothing about this film that I I would change. Um, it it starts and it looks really oldie worldy, like the, just the texture of that. It looks like it's shot on film, and I don't think it is. It even comes up with an old. BBFC classification card at the end, which they must change in every country or something. But I mean, that's that's by the by. They, these little details. But um, I think it. I mean, I laughed a lot, and so did everybody. There's a lot of jokes in it, but all the jokes sort of come from the characters and just how much you care about the characters and their behaviour, rather than like one-liners. Although there are there are some one-liners in there. Um, but that them sort of starting to find the grounds of where they 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 seem like this dysfunctional bunch who've got nothing in common. And as they start to find their commonality, that's really the heart of the movie. And there's some really touching um and sad moments in there. I think it probably ends sort of in a hopefulish sort of way. But it's there are certainly moments of just heartbreak throughout this film. It did remind it's not similar in it in its structure or anything to Banshees of Inner Sheeran, but I felt that way about it that I laughed a lot. And I felt very sad a lot throughout it. And there were certainly bits that people laughed at that I didn't because I thought, I find that heartbreaking. A little bit like um, Three Boards at Billboard's Outside Evan Missouri as well, that kind of kind of tone. But the, the performances are really, really good. I mean, Paul Giamatti I've seen do a lot of... He plays like the same... Uh, he, he, I've seen him play like a... A sort of a manager type in in the NWA movie and the Beach Boys movie. He sort of does that, but he's he's quite a, although he's quite cold to start with. He's quite a sympathetic character in it. He's a really it, I don't know if he's he's won an Oscar before, but I think this could be potentially his moment. Is really good. Um, Divine Joy Randolph who plays the um, uh, Mary Lamb who's the, the the school cook as well. She's fantastic in it, um, and I think it's Dominic Sessa is the The young guy but the three of them together yeah it's just a it's a phenomenal movie and and i know we're going to get to poor things but when i saw poor things i was like i think already this might be my favorite movie of the year it's the first one i've seen in 2024 and i think at the end of the year this is gonna be my favorite movie i can't call it at the moment between this and the holdovers it really took me by surprise and um yeah so i definitely liked it a lot Mm -hmm. Jay, uh, set in 1970 I don't think I said yeah. that because I, I was trying to work out when it was set and it was only at the end that I worked out it was 1970 so yeah okay Um you
3: found it yeah awesome. yeah uh, uh, yeah Whatever it said uh, what said uh, uh James is absolutely true It's, it's, uh, it's I, I will just go as far as saying at least my favorite movie of the month. I don't know if it will be my top 10 BC or whatever, but I really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was really well done. Um, the, the fact, actually, that they create, the story creates the perfect conditions for three people, actually, who have no one else in their lives, no families, nothing, etc., and they get together. That was a good idea, to be honest. Um... Although a little built forced in my opinion, but I'm nitpicking to us. But anyway, um, definitely uh, for me, yes, the the two stars of the movie, not really the teenager, but definitely perhaps tipo Jamati, but also definitely I can't remember the name, but yeah, the the woman who plays the cook is, uh, yeah, she is definitely doing a great job. Uh, well, it's not a spoiler, to be honest, but yeah, uh, she plays actually the mother of a, of a kid, a kid literally, who's like, I don't know, 17, 18 years old, who went to the Vietnam War and was killed. And uh, it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's again, it looks like actually I'm always crying in front of movies in this podcast, but uh, this time, again, it's sometimes there are some scenes actually with her, actually, but uh, you put her, yourself in the shoes, it's, it's yeah, he, and you can think actually about this, like, probably thousands of hundreds of thousands of parents actually lost their kids uh, for wars, uh, especially in the US uh, in recent years. So it's, uh, yeah, it it was a great performance. And I know we're going to talk about Oscars afterwards, but there's a good chance, actually, that for me, she's the favorite. I mean, I don't know why she wouldn't get it, to be honest. Um, Also, to give credits, I don't know what the expression in English is, but to give credits to whoever said it, but I think it was Afonso. I mentioned actually that I thought that Stephen Murphy will win the Oscar for Best Actor after watching this movie. I don't know anymore. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that being said, because Alfonso was definitely saying that actually it is true, but the point of oh, Academy Awards usually it's rewarding a career, a whole career of someone, uh, let's face it. And um, although Stephen Murphy has a great career. What about Paul Giamatti? Yeah. Uh, now that being said, my only problem Paul Giamatti that I feel and that I think James was about to mention it, I feel that Paul Giamatti is uh, always doing the same thing. I I can't remember actually a performance of Paul Giamatti in the movie where yeah. he, I was thinking, oh, that's very out of the ordinary. That's very something I have never seen with him. I feel like you always see the same thing with him. But to be to be fair, he does a good job playing these kind of, um, I don't know, not very sympathetic, an antipathic guy actually who doesn't like the world and the world doesn't like him and uh, he wants to be, be left alone, etc. And he has the perfect, I don't know, if even his face is actually is perfect for this. I don't know, maybe it's perfect for this kind of role. Would it be enough to get the awards? I don't know, perhaps, but at least now, I'm not sure anymore, but uh, Yeah. I don't know, we'll talk about this later but yeah. Uh, yeah, overall yeah, it's a great movie uh, I would say just a very nice um, what's the expression um, feel good movie because in the end actually it's awful I want to say even for the three of them it's it's the ending is more awful than it is at the rest of the movie so yeah, it's uh, it's worth your watch Yeah, yeah.
2: and mm. it's a Christmas movie as well isn't it? Yeah, so, absolutely. I mean, yeah, the, the timing bad. of the release in the UK is terrible, but <laughs> I think this might have to go on on a sort of list of films that I re-watch at, at Christmas um, oh. because, it's yeah, it's definitely got a bit of sweet feeling to it. Oh, so, yeah. That, that does really
1: put legs on stuff, you know, on, on films like every year. But, uh, oh, yeah, but poor Jim yeah, as you say, with Oscars they tend to reward careers rather than an individual performance. Uh, just You know, but, uh, yeah, it's always been strong one of their strongest character actors they have quite honestly in the u.s i've seen so um you know but he's he does some some important work but uh yeah be interesting what they choose this year but uh he's well deserved it if he does it just based on career alone i think on the the background work he tends to do in movies right well we're talking about oscar buzz um bringing us back to our next well to our next film which you just mentioned james was poor things that's uh emma stone in a kind of a fantastical drama about a uh, almost like a, a Frankenstein kind of like tale of a woman created by a scientist and then her evolution in, in quite a fantastical settings.
2: Um, well, yeah, well, I mean, it, uh, it pretty much is. I mean, I think it, it doesn't try to hide that particularly. So Willem Dafoe is a uh, Good to Von Argen or Doctor Frankenstein type guy and. I won't say exactly what happens because we find out a bit later. But he basically reanimates um, a woman. I'm, I'm sort you find out a bit more about what's happened there, but it's it's later on. So he he reanimates um, Emma Stone as the sort of creature, if you like, the Frankenstein's creature, um, and she's definitely very sort of young in her ways, but in an adult's body, um, and she goes on a sort of journey through life really to, to sort of find her way. But as this, this created creature, um, she calls Willem Defoe God as well, which is quite, quite sweet. It's from um, the director of the, uh, of the lobster. I almost said the creator then uh, the lobster and uh, the favorite, which are fantastic, fantastic movies. And you, c- it's definitely got that like crazy, kind of feel to it i mean even the cinematography and the look of it that fisheye lens that he uses a lot during um the favorite it feels like you're in this madly twisted world it it doesn't really feel like anything else other than this director actually certainly an, an auteur um but i yeah I, I mean i love the frankenstein story anyway and this is just a very sort of modern take on it um, I think it it does really remind me of Barbie in in places like the idea of like when Barbie gets to the real world in that film and her sort of discovery through that. There's a little bit of that later on in the, in this film, um, but Mark Ruffalo as her um, the the man that she she sort of I don't know thing I can't remember now if they're engaged or not, but the, her sort of love interest in it is very very funny, um, and yeah, it's it's a really quirky sort of bizarre fantasy film but i loved it it was great hmm. uh richard you saw this as well I think.
3: bizarre yeah bizarre is the world yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, mean, <laughs> I think if you have to sum it up in one word bizarre that would be the perfect word uh I, okay so um it, it's hard actually to explain her and to describe this movie, but also actually to explain how you feel about this movie, to be honest. Um, I really enjoyed The Lobster back then, the same director, because it was completely absurd, but at the same time, it was in a way very funny. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't matter if it was absurd, at least it was, yeah, it was fun. And uh, you can see that the the, the actors and actresses had fun on the set in this movie, to be honest, I'm not sure I laughed a lot, and uh, yeah, I mean, it definitely has qualities, Uh, yes, I think the great director, and even the visuals are extraordinary, The, the world they live in is like this Victorian era England's in a way, perhaps, I don't know if it's true, but I don't know if it's set at the end of the 19th century, but it looks like in sometimes at the end of the 19th century, and the world looks like the end of the 19th century, but at the same time, I think it's set in the 21st. I don't know, and it's very strange. Uh, the visuals are, you feel like you're on, on earth, but at the same times, it's like a painting of the earth sometimes. Uh, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful, well-crafted movie. Um, but now, for the story element of it, uh, that's where I have issues, to be honest. Um, because definitely, this movie is about uh, the place of women in our society and, uh, and the fact actually that they are put aside and they have to fight to actually to, uh, create their own place, they create their own careers, etc. Uh, and it's a strong message, it's good, but there are some messages like this. Now, that being said, I'm not sure that the story and the methods they choose to uh, push this message in this movie is the right one, to be honest. Um, I don't know. Um,
2: Yeah. By by that, uh, that, Richard, do you mean because of the, the sort of like a lot of Sex scenes and that that sort of stuff—is that where you get? Yes at? and no, because because
3: it's completely. I mean, it's respectable. It's a respectable job, like any other job, I guess. Uh, because, well, no spoiler alert, but no, spoiler alert, but yeah, most of the movie actually, but a master character plays a prostitute. Um, uh, it's not bad, but it's. Yeah, okay, maybe you're right, James. I, 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 maybe I'm answering the studio. If the idea is to show that a woman, especially perhaps in a very strict society, etc., has to do the worst things just to have her her own life and create her own future? Fair enough. But is it necessary to show actually every single sex client that she's going to get? I'm not sure. I think it was almost actually a bit... Uh, gratuitous, uh, a, a bit actually, uh, just actually, for the sake of having another sex scene, we're gonna have another client and another client, and it lasts a long time. I, honestly, I had people walking away from my movie theater when I was watching it. I'm not even joking. And it's one of the first time I see that I see people walking away because not because they were feeling comfortable, but I can see in French saying that it's bullshit. Literally, this movie. And I don't know if I can say that they're completely wrong. That's a problem. I mean, not the whole movie, but these scenes, I was thinking, are they really necessary? That's strange. Yeah, and... Because it, it, the fact is that it's also felt completely out of place sometimes. Uh, there's like three or four different periods in this movie, and one is her being like the this... Woman who, as James was explaining, kind of reborn and learning, like growing up, literally in her mind. And then the second one is exploring the world, but also exploring her, literally, her sexuality. And then there is a third one, comes straight away, where she is, and I still don't know why, she is going back with the guy, well, I'm not going to this, but she's living with the guy who is like this crazy psychopath guy, and she lives with him, and he's probably the the um, the symbol of all the terrible men in this world, and there's a lot of them, it's true, who do exist. But it's just actually that's, I was thinking, but what's going on? Are we watching another movie now? Um, yeah i I don't know i really don't know because i i I respect the work behind the scenes i respect what they try to do but uh i thought they could have done a better job in the screenplay let's say but yeah that's my feelings i know it's very confused feelings i'm sorry about that but yeah it's a very strange movie to explain and to talk
2: about to be fair
3: one of the one of the weirdest experiences i ever had in a movie theater let's face it
2: it is. It is based on a book as well, isn't it? So it's an adaptation of a of a novel. That that part that you said that is sort of what I thought. That almost as the epilogue, that part. But yeah, yeah, it's almost like another section, isn't it? But yeah, it's
1: got some Oscar nominations for. Is it a yeah. performance for Emma Stone? Is it or?
2: Yeah, I believe so. Uh, Mark Ruffalo, I think, is up for supporting actor as well. Probably adapted screenplay. Yeah,
1: um,
2: yeah it has
4: eleven record. nominations. Eleven yeah, the, the second most nominated after Oppenheimer, who which has oh. thirteen.
2: Yeah, and I, I mean the sex scenes. I just thought of it almost like the like it's like the Rocky montage scene. It's just <laughs> with, like literally, <laughs> that's what it is. It's sort of like it, it's presented like that. They don't have Eye of the Tiger by Survivor to soundtrack it, but p- apart from that, that's what they're going for. Yeah. More
1: oh, interesting. All right, then. Well, uh, another. Feature that just came out a bit earlier in the year, but hit streaming more recently, is Saltburn, which has had quite a big word of mouth. If anyone you talk to, they seem to be mentioning this title. It's um, set in Oxford University. Uh, I think a young student finds himself kind of like enrolled in a kind of this subculture or in an aristocratic classmate and opening that world and. Um, getting some quite a, a lot of people have seen it keep recommending it. Um, well, they keep they, talking they, about it, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> so it's also something.
4: a little bit of sex scenes a little bit of a few of those,
1: yes. Uh, Alfonso, you saw this, and James, Alfonso, is it worth the word of mouth? I keep,
4: uh, I mean, it's it's what? it's worth talking about it. It's it's <laughs> <laughs> it's. It's a movie that has many scenes that seem to have been thought to provoke word of mouthness <laughs> because it's uh, it's uh, the main character has a bit of an infatuation with uh, Jacob Elordi and all his, his universe and the, all the characters and the mansion, the Saltburn house. Uh, the countryside with, uh, he spends there the, I think it's the summer
3: period. And
4: uh, yeah, he he gets like adopted by Jacob Elordi and his family. And then, well, more and more strange things start to happen around this dynamic or more like out there behaviors I don't know if out there but basically he really really likes being there and being next to Jacob and his family and it was was a fun movie basically it's not it doesn't take itself seriously I would say Uh,
1: James you saw this as
2: well yeah i mean you did a very good job of describing it i i think the reason a lot of people have gone to see i i know that a, re, a lot of people in a, a few whatsapp groups that i've got have got have gone to watch this because of what the people who've seen it are discussing because everyone says i can t- oh i don't want to say this because it's a spoiler there's there's certainly two things in it i mean one thing is so extreme that it almost made me forget the other extreme thing in it and it's not even extreme it it's just like I've never seen those two things depicted or even talked about ever. Like they're just so, and and you can't even put like a content warning because it would be a spoiler. But when I watched this, so I watched this at cinema in November um, and I'd seen the trailer and obviously um, uh, Barry Keown, who's, you know, brilliant and everything. Banshees of Inner last year was, or the year before was fantastic. Rosamund Pike. Uh, Richard e. Grant, who I wasn't aware was in the film until I saw it, but the trailer doesn't really tell you anything. I thought it looks it looks lovely, but it's going to be a sort of arty-farty film. I don't know what this is about, and I think I I think that you sit down thinking this is going to be an LGBT drama, and and it's going to have some sort of social kind of thing. By the end of it, you go, oh, no, this was a bit of fun. Like, twist, the most twisted fun possible. But that's what it was. There was no message <laughs> here. This is this is about um, just sort of being, you know, a bit. It's a, it's a really good, fun film. Um, it, it's the best reaction I've had from anybody in the cinema as well that, you know... At horror films, you often get people who can't contain their anxiety, and they vocalise. And there was a moment with the scene twenty minutes from the end, where some people just burst into anxious laughter. So obviously, some strangers sat next to each other, so like, I don't know how to react to this. You could just sort of tell that they weren't, they didn't mean to react in this way. But it's, it's almost like a snowball effect of more and more extreme things, and then you just. Hip, I think by the end and go, oh my god! But a lot of the songs from the soundtrack because the sort of songs from the the noughties have re-entered the charts off of the back of this, particularly "Murder on the Dance Floor" by Sophie Ellis <laughs> to which is the the last fil- song you hear in the film, which you will never be able to hear again without thinking of the end of this film if you see it. But um, yeah, an, an odd one and and quite cruel that they dropped it between. Christmas and New Year where families might watch it together. Because as I said, I wouldn't want to watch this film with my family. But as Alfonso said, why not watch it with your family and create new experiences? Which I think <laughs> is better than the tagline. So oh,
1: great. Uh Christmas tree. Um, oh, um it does make me want to watch it.
2: That's basically
1: the more people talk around it, the more you want to actually see this. So um it's definitely one on the list. Um our next title very sounds very oscar baity actually but it is uh maestro i think it's uh the leonard bernstein biopic uh bradley Mm -hmm. cooper going under prosthetic transformation which tends to be a habit of oscar contenders um let me see richard and alphonse yeah
4: it's yes it is very oscar baity as you say it's Totally, Oscar Brady. It's one of the one of those films that where the main couple have a. It's a bi- biopic to start with, so you get a, you had the main the main couple that you you follow them to their lives. Uh, there are Bernstein and and his wife Felicia Montenegro uh, that are played by Cooper and Kerry Mulligan. And He's a, let's say, like a bright, very bright, even, let's say, genius composer and orchestra director uh, who does more popular, less classical music. He does musicals. He even did, I think, scores for movies. Um, And the movie has, the the whole movie has uh, his creations as soundtrack. It's one of those movies where there are many, yeah, there are prosthetics characterizations as they as they age, um, sad moments, happy moments, uh, couple mo- moments w- with the couple and their and their love, love relationship. So there's there's a little bit of conflict between them because. Bernstein was I guess bisexual he he had affairs let's say and but it doesn't represent such a conflict for the for the couple or even for the movie I mean and, and he's very good at his job so. The movie has excellent production values. Very, Of course, very nice music of Bernstein himself. Uh, Does those things of changing the format, going from black and white to color. If you like classic Hollywood, it has a lot of that in the costumes, in the eras. Uh, Netflix has given him a lot of money. So... I don't know. It's just it's just a movie that is very. It's kind of watchable, but if you like something, some kind of conflict that propels it, apart from Felicia Montenegro being a little bit pissed because his husband is always chasing some guy. <laughs> Sorry, I don't. I don't know if that's spoiling. There's not too much. There's not too much to spoil. There are more <laughs> other things, but but it's it was. A little bit like, mm, well, yeah, nice, but
1: eh. um, Richard, share those thoughts. Is it uh, yeah. a bit too? <laughs> I'm
3: just, I'm already laughing because I'm trying to think of what going to I'm going to say about this movie. Uh, so, if you feel if you have problem with insomnia, <laughs> this movie is for you, my friend. <laughs> uh, I, I mean. I read it all. Okay. So is my rant about biopics? Uh-huh. So it was coming. So I don't see the point of these movies. I really don't see the point. Uh, I'm, I, maybe I need to be involved in the classical world and etc. Maybe I will get more invested in this kind of movie. I don't think so. To be honest, I'm pretty sure that someone who actually plays of violin, or as 10 years of uh, experience in the musical world, will still not care about this movie. Um, it's just sometimes the most extraordinary man or woman doesn't need a movie made of him or her, but also his or her story is not interesting enough for the main uh, general audience. And that's again the the problem with maestro. I mean what's this story about? The story and by the way, maybe there is a good story there, but there's like a thousand little different things actually but there isn't developed enough. I I, I was listening to Alfonso, yes, there is the fact that actually that he's bisexual and I guess I guess but we try to say is that since he's a public figure, he kind of has to hide that he he has homosexual boyfriends. I don't know, because at some point there is a scene with Carrie Mulligan, who plays his wife, where she says that he's becoming not very careful or something like that, and he has to be careful or whatever, because she kind of uh, found him kissing another guy. But I think that she was alright with it. She knows about this, so she's not pissed off, but I'm guessing she's pissed off if someone else was seeing him i don't know i wasn't sure about this maybe uh and then there is this out of nowhere by the way we found out actually that caramane character his wife has a cancer and she's dying or or she's actually or not dying or whatever and i was thinking but okay uh but it, that's another story but I, that has no uh roots or whatever uh i said okay that's sad but it, it's just in a way It is maybe a perfect biopic, if you think that the biopic is supposed to be the life of someone. But the life of someone is not interesting. If it's about, oh, so in the year 1945, I was champion of a chess tournament. And in 1955, my brother found out that he has a cancer, and in 1965, I got a kid. Okay, good for you, but who cares? I mean, that is just different part of a a life of a random guy. That's how I sold Maestro. Different parts of a life of a random guy. I didn't see the inspiration because it was someone that you changed the world somehow. uh, And I didn't care. And it doesn't mean, actually, that, again, that you need to know a lot about this industry or this field, I think. I, I enjoyed uh, biopics about things that I didn't know anything about because I was transported in, the, in the, the world of that person. In that case, I wasn't transported at all. I couldn't care less about what he was creating or his talent, whatever, because I think there was not enough time shown about what his real talent was. There is actually one good scene, I guess, where Bradley Cooper goes crazy for like five minutes uh, where he's actually uh, um, say, uh, in front of the Hulk Orchestra. That was fun. But that was once in the movie, I think. Um, I, I, I don't know. I mean, again, a bit like what I said for poor things, I appreciate the effort, from, especially of the two main actors and actresses, Carrie um, um, Minigan and Bradley Cooper. You can see that they tried, and they tried a lot. They made a huge effort. But the movie itself, my God, it was long. And it was long for no reason whatsoever. It could sum it up in ten minutes. In in and in some
4: cases, I think it's good when a biopic has some sort of thing. I mean when when the their profession makes them go through struggles like, for example, a beautiful mind, which the, the, the wife was there, but the wife was secondary to what we thought in the beginning that was uh, some kind of spy theme uh, with his work and mathematics yeah. and stuff. So it, the story kind of made you go through another, like you, you had another point of interest if bernstein had had something to accomplish in a uh, career wise some kind of very difficult task something and the wife story could have been there too but it, it it i think cooper just i think he misses in my opinion but maybe he i mean it seems like he didn't want to do that and and he goes, he, he becomes so reverential and so enamored of Bernstein that he, he's, he doesn't put enough obstacles in his path, non, yes. non, non-career-wise. It's not like, I don't know, uh, for example, you have another kind of, it's not a bi- biopic, but it is a biopic, the, the imitation game about Alan Turing. That those yes. kind of, you have a, a story there, which you you are telling it uh, from the, you, you're following Alan, Alan Turing throughout a lot of his life. Mm-hmm. But there is a story there about, yeah. about his work. And even, I mean, Oppenheimer, it's called Oppenheimer. And it's yeah. about something that happened at his job that, uh, was very relevant for the for the world, it, but in this case he goes like if it's if it's like oh, in those movies they just got the the human side the 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 part where he's at his home with his wife and their troubles, and not the professional side.
1: Mm, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, right. Another for me. I is mentioned, is Society of the Snow. Uh, this seems to be, what, a flight of the rugby team that crashed on the Andes. Is this the same story as the film that was depicted in Alive, or is this a new
3: one? Because I feel like this yeah. story is in I, I, I think it's about the same accident. I, it
4: I think, is. But in another language. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. Is it... Uh, Added something new to this,
3: or maybe
1: um, you, know, you both saw this. Uh...
3: To be fair, I haven't watched <laughs> the other versions of this. I yeah. heard about it. My, actually, my father, a few years ago, read a book about this. I yeah. talked about it. And yesterday, when I decided to watch this movie, because he had a lot of uh, Oscar buzz, he had a nomination, etc. I, I think he had a nomination, as well, but uh, I, 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 I was thinking, but... I was thinking, but is this the movie... Sorry, but it's not a spoiler, right? Everyone knows this story. We can yeah. talk about what I'm going to say. Huh? Uh, I say, is this a story my father told me about when I was a kid where people ate each other to survive? I say, I need to watch this movie just to see if it's about this. And honestly, for the first 50 minutes, it was... A, it's a great movie, by the way. It's a great movie, well done. But for the first 50 minutes, I just waiting this. I was waiting... Is this about, yeah, I was <laughs> are we going to see actually people hating each other? So, well, it's not like that. It's not like a cannibal holocaust. Huh? If anyone knows this movie, it's not like that. Huh? It's not that dumb. Uh, they just feel, I mean, in a nutshell, it's a group of uh, friends in a rugby team in 1972 who go from, they are Uruguayans, they go from Uruguay to Chile in a plane that cross the, uh, how do you say in English, Andes, Andes? on Andes. Andes, Andes. Andes, thank you. Uh, and they crash. And, uh, but they're completely stranded on a mountain, I think is 3000 meters high or something like that. And, uh, and there's actually nowhere, no no way actually that they can be found, especially with the snow and the color of the, of the, of the, of the plane. And uh, so they are stranded with no food, literally nothing for days days and days and at some point yes they actually because they died during the crash itself and also died because of the temperature obviously uh, they eat the dead bodies to survive but that's just one part of the movie it's not the whole thing to be honest obviously it's about survival and survival so an instincts and it's um, I mean, in a way I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> I was about to say it's a feel good movie. No, it doesn't feel good movie. Uh, in a way, it, it, the idea of survival, the idea actually, that even in the worst conditions whatsoever. But actually, honestly, the movie is so good that at some point, although it is a true story, i was thinking there is no chance they're gonna survive this. There's no chance they're gonna be one guy surviving this because again, no. I'm gonna, I'm not gonna spoil this. So they are stranded. And there are things happening while they are already stranded. With no food whatsoever, there are things happening, but I was thinking, but they are reaching another low. It's another thing. I said, thank God, they are so, so bad luck. And it keeps going down and down and down. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it, it compared to this masterpiece, uh, Maestro. Uh, uh, you feel the two hours and 15 minutes of Maestro and you look at the your watch every 10 minutes. This one, I didn't look at my watch once. So that's a good sign.
1: Oh, Alfonso, you, did this add anything new or is this really kind of like...
4: I saw that I saw the previous one mm. well, a of time ago when it came and, out. And uh, I thought, from what I remember, it's pretty much the same. Of course, it's the same. Kind of like the same story, but also the same vibe in this, in the, what I refer, what I'm referring to is like um, it's a, a group of characters uh, where, and they have to survive and there are many characters. So you don't focus on one particular character. There's a narrator, but there are a lot of characters and all of them speak. So it's about the same kind of ideas of friendship, of companionship, of like uh, having to survive, taking into account that everyone wants to, has to eat and has to survive the the cold, the the bad conditions, uh, everything, and take decisions along the way of, of what to do with, like Richard said about eating or not eating, and these are, uh, like, I think they they were young men from accommodated cl- an accommodated class. Some of them quite religious. Uh, so they are like basically, like your typical team of young men who go to play to will. A match against another team, like there are, there is no, they are like regular people who get into a very unusual situation. And to me, it it is a well-made movie. It is an, an yeah. entertaining movie, and but it's not like it. For example, it's not this is not Oscar Beatty because it's. There's so many characters, so many like the the the, all of them are like one big character that tries to survive. Each one, they they are not known actors. It's a survival survival film about the values of helping each other, basically.
1: Okay, hmm. yeah, I don't think there'll be much room for. But it's just interesting that we have this other version, but. Uh...
3: Mentioned that actually the director is J. A. Bayona, who is kind of famous. Actually, a very good director behind uh, the orphanage and uh, and unfortunately uh, for him, Jurassic Park, Fallen Kingdom, A Monster Calls, A Monster Call, Thank you, thank you. Oh, much, impossible. Much better reference. Much better reference.
4: Also, yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and the Jurassic World. Uh, I, I don't mean, Fallen Kingdom is the best Jurassic
2: Park film since the original book, yeah.
4: Yeah, the uh, Jurassic, Jurassic World Haunted man- Mansion. <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, they'll uh,
1: put that on their CD. <laughs> right, well, yeah. from one uh, true life story to another, a bit more of a local affair, and this is probably in the news as well. I'll let James explain. And this is Mr. Bates versus the Post office. It's kind of like I was probably one of the it was proving to be one of the biggest miscarriages of British justice in living memory. Uh
2: James. Yeah, so Miss, Mr. Bates versus the post office, um, is a four-part drama that aired between um sort of the first week of, of New Year in the UK. Um and it got nine point two million viewers, which is sort of unheard of now. Um in the I mean, line of duty might get that, but but um terrestrial TV doesn't get those sort of viewing figures anymore. Um, this case, the best way to explain it, I suppose, so in 2000, the post office in the UK int- tried to get a new uh, system going called Horizon. They tried to modernise the post office. Um, but this this system didn't work. Um, so postmasters and postmistresses all over the country found that they had massive shortfalls Um in their stock takes, which weren't true, that it was an IT fault, basically. But rather than admit that there was an IT fault, these people were prosecuted. And this has gone on for 20 years, that people were told, you need to pay back tens of thousands, like sometimes thousands of pounds, sometimes 10,000 pounds. You need to pay this back, otherwise you're going to jail. And you're the only person having this problem. And this sort of... Literally went on for like 15 years before it even become a thing. It has been known, but it's very interesting in terms of stories like this don't necessarily make the front page of the paper because they're IT stories or they're about people living in villages and they're seen as sort of dry news stories. But the woman who wrote this said that she wrote it like Avengers Assemble. So bizarrely, I mean, the idea that these people were all prosecuted and, and some of them are still found guilty... Pregnant people were sent to prison. Uh, There were four known suicides as a result of this. um, And those are depicted in in the movie or in the TV show. But there's actually sort of a feel-good sense to people coming together once they all realise that they're having the same miscarriage of justice perpetrated against them. Um, It does become quite a good sort of feel-good drama. Toby Jones um, plays Alan Bates. Now, Alan Bates is the only person who kind of said, no, I this is I'm not going to pay this money back. <laughs> I know this is an IT fault um, and kind of led the charge. You, you think in 2000 there wasn't the internet on the wide scale that there was now. Someone would just tweet this out now. it took people years before they realized that they were being singled out by the post office and the post office don't still sort of are refusing, even though there's a public inquiry, to admit the scale of what they've done. Um, and it's it's become a huge thing now. The prime minister's talking about it, and it's really got eyes on it. But it, it does work as a kind of feel-good drama, as well as something that has kind of humanized this story. And, like, and there's about over a thousand people that this this applied to, um, and some of these people are, are dead now as well. They, they just haven't made it because they're older people. But, yeah, but it yeah. Makes yeah, it kind of like five
1: hundred and fifty postmasters were involved, but of course, in their families. But in the uh,
2: legal action in in twenty nineteen, that was five hundred and fifty five. But there are people who've come forward as a result yeah, sure. of that case and and stuff. And they reckon now it is sort of just short of a thousand people that we know of.
1: It is. Right? It is
2: a um the drama itself.
1: It it does make pains that it doesn't it can easily sentimentalize this if you can imagine like a tv feel good drama like you said but it's it's not it kind of like it does it's almost like procedural work it's the kind of meticulous kind of bit by bit but then it what is makes for hard viewing is how these you know almost
2: get victimized by this kind of like entity which is
1: (laughs) that organization the the cuddly old
2: old post office and and people were really sort of saying how has this happened and it does seem that as an entity nobody questioned this at the post office so the idea of saying um installing a new computer system and going there's no defects we know that computers have problems but the post office installed this thing in 2000 and they knew before it went live that it was riddled with bugs and errors um and that but rather than be transparent about this and investigate it, they just started saying it's the, it's the fault of the users. The users have done this wrong and we're going to make them pay this money back. Um, so re- really outrageous story. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's done something that, weirdly, journalists have been talking about this story for years. But you put it in a TV drama and people say terrestrial TV drama is dead. But the fact so many people watch this and so many people got angry about it, and it's really caused like a national conversation. It was like the top story for about two weeks in the UK. Um, It's really kind of drawn eyes to something that has been in plain sight for ages, but nobody was paying attention to. I
1: just wanted to mention Toby Jones, who who seems to appear in everything I watch. Uh, He's always one of those like mainstay great
2: character actors that we have. I mean, I know. He's in Jurassic Park, Fallen Kingdom, actually, as well, isn't he? Yes. It all comes around in the end.
1: Right. Well, um, another, as we're on TV fair, I think uh, another series that is probably HBO Max, Sky, if you're here, is the fourth season of uh, True Detectives, which has uh, Jodie Foster starring this series. Um, the setting here is an, an Alaskan small town and a small research outpost where a kind of like gruesome, Occurrence happens where, uh, if I think we're in episode two, where the premise is there has been not so much a murder, but some, some kind of a mass death that is happening in that research facility. And, uh, yeah, and Joe D. Foster takes the lead. Um, I, of course, watched the first season of it. I think there was a huge, big talk of it as uh, Matthew McConaughey. I then I left it for a while, but then I kind of got drawn back into this and. It's not bad, um, Alfonso. You've seen this, and yeah. James? And I think it's. I mean, it's really
4: good. Uh, in my opinion, I think it's it's great. A return to form, totally for the ser- This series of True Detective, it could have been called anything. I mean, but True Detective, it's it's okay. Uh, Isla Lopez, the the showrunner and director of of Most of the episodes, it's not all, is great. I don't know where she, what she has done before, but she, she has uh, conceived this um, very interesting story. It has, I don't know if it feel will have a little bit of supernatural elements as the first season of True Detective. Mm. It seems like it also has a mismatch kind of duo of cops between uh, Jodie Foster and Kelly Rice. Uh, Jodie Foster, uh, I didn't know how much I missed her being a a cop since Silence of the Lambs. Uh, But here she's like, (laughs) if if Clarissa Starling had become quite like a little bit jaded, a little bit burned by her profession after a while, after she was sent to alaska <laughs> but she 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 has been around the block uh, a yeah. couple of thousands of times <laughs> and, and but she is still is engaging and you kind of like being around her in this series and uh, she does a very good like counterpoint to although they are both tough but uh, the other cop is a black cop who both women by the way who who they both in the past uh, there was another crime and uh, the black cop is was quite um, traumatized by not being able to solve that and Jody Foster was also kind of new about the, the, the story. Because I think she came to the town afterwards, but now they have this big, big enigma of what has happened to the men that were in this outpost. Because something really strange has happened to them, and 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 even a little bit funny. But in the second episode, and it, it has a lot of around them. There are a lot of characters that are very much from that town called Ennis in Alaska, but quite also li- lively and interesting. And uh, you know that uh, interrogation is always going from one character to the other and getting to know the society of that kind of place where there there are a lot of dates where it's going to be only night. So you're always lost if, it, if, it's, if it's in the... And also Jodie Foster just believes in working nonstop. So you never know at what time of the day you are in this series. And it has that kind of eerie kind of look also. So it's always I like the atmosphere very much. It, Anyhow, it, I, I really enjoyed it.
1: it. It reminded me a little bit of like Twin Peaks, a bit of seven. Maybe I think the director herself said she's been, she was quite inspired by that. Uh, yeah, it's a very cold and isolated, but uh, it's intriguing. Um. And I just think it needs a bit more eyes on it, but that's it. Anyway, um, well, well, frankly, we'll just go around and if there's any special mentions that we might have missed out on that you want special mentions... I,
4: I do you- want to mention. Yep, go ahead. I want to mention something that was also set in an iced uh, place with uh, yeah, a lot of coldness, isolated characters in a setting... Which is the the new series by Brit Marlin, uh, A Murder at the End of the World, which is on Disney Plus, and I really, really, really enjoyed it too. I mean, it's only uh, it's a mini series. I don't think it's going to have a second season. Maybe it will have a second season, but it's about this uh, billionaire, kind of an Elon Musk, which is created creating. Uh, some kind of how how we will survive the future when the climate change uh, tries to kill us and he's in this i think i don't know if it's iceland or some kind of remote place and near the north pole and he has invited like people who think outside of the box and well a murder happens and there's this amateur detective, a uh, twenty-something year old girl, who is there and is and is trying has personal reasons to solve it, although it's very difficult in this place that is so technologically uh, like uh, everything is controlled by uh, and, uh, the AIs and robots and everything. And, and uh, the, it's difficult to know which of these uh, very intelligent people would have a motive for having killing the, the victim. Uh, I thought it was interesting to mix this kind of Agatha Christie with with the the ideas of billionaires and climate change and to me, it was very entertaining. And also, I just wanted to mention also Percy Jackson and the Olympians also on Di- on Disney, because it has been a surprise. <laughs> it's, in, uh, for, it's for kids and teenagers, but it has great music, great visuals in most episodes. Uh, a Very interesting, uh, this kind of Harry Potter is two to, to guys and one girl going on an adventure kind of thing. Uh, like ba- with cha- being chased by bad guys, like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows kind of thing, it's very Harry Potter like. So, I think it has enough quality to recommend it to everyone.
1: Okay. okay. Um. Quickly, uh, Richard James, any social mentions for the, the last month that you want to? Yeah. Uh,
3: two two things. Uh, so we discussed before the podcast. Uh, there's been the release of the second season of breakpoints on Netflix, uh, which is kind of a documentary series by Netflix for two reasons. a row now they do about uh, the world of tennis but, and the top level of tennis. Because the whole idea is to, in each episode, to follow the path over a year of one single player, usually one of the top 10 players. And uh, and you see the ups and downs, especially the downs, to be honest, of what it is to be a tennis player. Yeah, it's interesting interesting uh, documentary that I recommend, especially if you don't know anything about tennis. And the second thing is uh, a movie that rec- was recommended by Alfonso, once again, uh, last month, called Missing. Um, I think you recommended it last month, if I'm not mistaken, Alfonso. But, uh, it is in the same universe as Searching, but was, for me, an enormous, extraordinary surprise a few years ago because of the way the movies is... Made uh, hard to explain. It's just actually, but in a way, you only see the plot in front of you through the eyes of technology. I would say it's uh, the third movie in that anthology, by the way, called "The Run," that is very different. It's uh, a movie with Sarah Paulson, but not the same uh, concept, not the same way of making movies. Okay.
1: And uh quickly, James, um, anything just wanna mention that worth catching?
2: Um, I so saw Priscilla Sophie Coppola film, which I thought was um very uh very good, very sort of almost like a companion piece in a way to Baz Luhrmann's Elvis, a very different story, um, focusing on Priscilla Presley's life. Um with uh is it Jacob A El- lot. yeah, but he he's there as um Playing Elvis, he's very, very good, actually, in that. Um, uh, he doesn't take a bath, luckily, which I think he's someone who can never take a bath on film after Saltburn, that's what <laughs> I will say. Um, but, yeah, I like the un- understated nature of that film. I thought it was really good. I did see American Fiction as a preview showing, but I think that'll be out next month, so maybe I'll save that for next month. But really enjoyed that with Jeffrey Wright. I thought it was very, very funny, um, very sharp script on it. And then I went this week to see Clerks, the 30th anniversary showing of Clerks, which is one of the films probably that means the most to me. Like growing up, I was just obsessed with that film. It was at a time before video phones, and it made you feel like you could get a camera and just make a movie in the local, you know, wherever you, you happen to work, like Kevin Smith did back in 1994. But yeah, Clerks, watching that on the big screen for the first time was a little bit of a treat. Brilliant.
1: Thanks, James. Um, I'll quickly mention probably second season of Reacher on Prime. Um first season covers one book, this covers another one. Uh, it's great casting and it's pretty good if you just want a good straightforward, but great interpretation of the Jet Reach character. It's um they, they just get all the pieces in place there, but um worth a catch. But as for this month. Thank you to our usual host, Richard James Bonzo, and we'll
0: see you next time.
1: See you soon. Bye.
0: We hope you enjoyed this film and TV episode. Catch the latest film and TV reviews together with regular episode content from the world of film and TV every week. See you soon. Would you like to reach our film and TV review podcast audience? Do you have a product or service of interest to film and TV home consumers or followers of the entertainment industry? Have a film or show production to publicize? For affordable price plans for all budgets, get in touch and find out about our introductory advertising options. Reach our audience of film and TV viewers and visit our site contact page at filmandtvreview.com or you can email us at business at film and TV Reach out today.